0: Jump into our Bible. So if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 5. If you don't own a Bible or have one today, you can have this one, right? We're going to have people come down the aisles with Bibles. Don't feel weird about this. We give them out every week. Raise your hand. We'll give you a Bible and turn to page 559. Okay, anyone, 559, turn it. If you don't own a Bible, you do now. It's our free gift to you. Please take this one as you leave. We are starting today a series in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, Just by a show of hands, and this is going to confuse some of the ushers who are handing out Bibles, but by a show of hands, how many people here have at some point in their life either read or have been taught a message from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7? Okay. Right. Right. I would say that even in the church and outside the church, this is probably the most popular passage of Scripture. I I don't know if people outside the church really know the details. I don't know if they know the ins and outs. I don't know if they can tell you all the verses. But I guarantee you they can tell you some of the one-liner quotes that come from it like the golden rule, right? Do unto others that you have them do unto you. People know that one. You hear this one a lot, right? Don't judge lest you be judged, right? You kind of hear these ones over and over, and they sprinkle our culture, and yet I'm going to tell you right now, we don't know the half of it. I've been studying this thing for a while now, saying, okay, God, what do you have for us as you move us into this series for the rest of this semester? And man, I'm only skimming the surface of the depths of which I think God wants to do something in my heart and in the heart of our church to transform us to live like this. So maybe we could quote, little one-liners here and maybe you've read the Sermon on the Mount and you're like, okay, I already kind of know what it says and so I'll disconnect or I'll go find something else or whatever. I'm going to say this, that if we were to sit down and we were to look at your life or my life, if I'm honest, right, if we were to sit down and say, okay, this is the ethic with which we're going to hold up our lives to, I guarantee you, you will no longer say, I get this. And either would I because the bar is high. What we get in the Sermon on the Mount is this incredibly authentic, beautiful, yet difficult ethic of the kingdom of God. And this beautiful ethic of the kingdom of God exists in stark contrast to the ethic of the world, right, to the ethic of NAU, to the ethic of Flagstaff, to the ethic of whatever your home is. I guarantee you this and the values that we will look at are not the same values that the world adopts. And as Christians, and let me say this, I realize that some of you here, you might not be a Christian. We have non-Christians visit every week. There's actually more of you in the room than you think. So if you're sitting there thinking I'm the only one, you're not. But I want to say to you, thank you for coming. But I want you to know that this is an ethic that the church is supposed to live up to, and we haven't, and so we apologize. So if you're here and you're a Christian, my hope is, is that as we work through this series for the next 12, 13 weeks, that you would allow God to come in and truly transform and you're going to have the opportunity as you do every day to daily choose which ethic you want to be part of, which story you want to believe. And I pray for us this morning that it be the story of Matthew 5 through 7 and not the story that the school or your teacher or anyone else will sell you. The ethic of the kingdom of God is truly how we experience the good life. So the world is always telling us what the good life looks like and we're gonna color that a little bit more in just a moment, but it's always saying okay, when you're born, here's what your future should look, you should pursue the good life. And so I have some stats for you. 80% of millennials, which is a lot of us in the room, I'm really on the, on the top end of that, that, uh, that generational thing, and, which frustrated me at first, but now I've embraced it. Um, of millennials say that when they were polled, hey, what is a great desire of your life? The number one answer, 80% of people said to be rich. Right? The the number one thing, even though if you talk to any rich person who's ever lived, there's not a single one that on their deathbed says that's a good thing to pursue. Not a single one. And yet 80% of us say, yeah, you know what I want to chase is money. The other one, 50%. 50%, okay, what was the next thing? 50% of people said it was to be famous, which is just silly, because if 50% of the people in the world are famous, famous doesn't mean anything anymore, and no one's famous. If everyone's famous, no one's famous. So about 49% of you need to drop that as a goal so the 1% actually has a chance. These are the top two goals of the millennial generation is to be rich and famous, and yet for some reason we have not learned where over and over and over the rich and famous say, that didn't work, and yet we crave it, amongst other things that we'll talk about in just a bit. The ethic of the kingdom of God is going to call you to something different. It's going to call you to something that is so upside down and countercultural that you'll think it's wrong and it's outdated and it's not something we should live for. But I tell you right now, and I know many of you don't even know me, but I'm going to tell you, this here is the good life. The good life is lived and when we live in line with Scripture. Okay. That, that, that's my... And that's my desire and how I want to implore you on the front end because I'm hoping that you stick with us and you learn And a lot of this, right? Because I've been in the church game for a while, so I've shown up. and, And I know you can just come and you can kind of check out pretty quickly. And you can say, well, I'll learn and maybe I'll get a couple notes down on a page. But as soon as I leave, I'm going to go do my own thing. Let us not be those people because that's not what Christ has called his Christians to. His disciples have been called to much more. And again, I continue to digress, but I will slow it down now. I want to share... One of the last parts of this sermon that Jesus gives as his, I think, imploring moment to us to say this is really important. And so he says this in Matthew 7, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, verse 24, he says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Okay. So from Jesus' own mouth, if you don't believe me, okay, if you're here and you love Jesus, right? if you're, and you're like, you know what, this guy's already crazy, I, I, I'm just going to do my own thing, Whatever at least listen to Jesus, right? Like, like, at least listen to his own words when he says, listen, what we'll talk about over the next 13 weeks, you should do it. Like, if you, you are a fool to not live this way, and hear me, I am a fool because I don't often live this way. That is how countercultural this ethic is, and yet let us please at least heed the words of Christ. Last thing I'll let you know is we are in a crazy season in our society, Right? Now, if you're on Facebook, if you open up Google News, if you read anything, if you come here, we try and talk about a lot of issues that's happening in culture. If you look at this, you're just like, man, something is up. This is wild. We're entering into a fall season, right? We have the election coming up in November. We will never tell you who to vote for. We're not going to make that political statement, but I will tell you this. There is also a politic of the world, right? There's a way that the United States, there's a way that the Western civilization, the way that the world governs itself, and there is a politic of the church, and that's what we have here today. And so even as we move through this very tumultuous season in U.S. history, I pray for the church that we would cling to the politic of the church, which is this. And so as we navigate those tough questions that what God says would overrule kind of all of the blogs that you read. All of the 140 character tweets that you think are true but are actually from The Onion, right? <laughs> that scripture would become more real for the church than ever before. And so, so I'm, done just, I'm done begging you. That was my kind of initial please pursue Jesus as we go, as we go through this series, okay? Please just pursue Jesus. Let him do work. Don't, don't do what I've done for so many different seasons of my life and just say, okay, I got this. I'm fine. I'm, I'm going to stick with the status quo. We are not called the status quo. We're called the far more than that. Amen. All right, verse one, here we go. Seeing the crowds, this is Jesus. He went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them saying, and, and stopped there, right? So just let's set the setting. So where are they? They're on a mount or mountain, right? He's looking out over the people. We have two sets of, uh, of people in the audience, right? First there is the disciples, and so the disciples, right, these are Christians, right, men and women who have decided, I want to follow this guy. Like, I align with what he says. So probably most of us in the room. But there's another, another audience there, and it's the crowd, right? It's these people who have heard these things about Jesus and have come to try and see, what is this guy about? What is he going to say next? What is he going to do next? And I think for the most part, a lot of them have their ears tickled and want to know more because they maybe want to follow him. But amidst the crowd, there's also some that are only following Jesus because they want to tear him down, right? They just want to listen in. Hey, what's he going to say? What's he going to do next? So we can discredit him and tear him down. So this is not too different from our culture today. As many of us being Christians, as you go out in the world, believe me, if you think the world is not watching your life and what you say, you're a fool. They're constantly examining, what what is the church going to do now that is going to be stupid? what is that Christian that I know going to do that's going to contradict everything that they say they believe then you also have some who are listening in because they want to know more some of you are here some of you are uh, this week I was at Fire Creek Coffee Shop and if you're a freshman and haven't been to Fire Creek yet you should go it's really good okay? I'm sitting at Fire Creek talking and having a conversation with a gal here at the church and, and we're just talking about stuff and, and after our meeting is over uh, I get approached by, uh, by a guy who was at the coffee shop and he comes up to me and he starts just asking all these. He says, hey, you, you told this girl this and that. And it just kind of runs through all these questions. And I said, yeah, well, this is the gospel and this is what's going on. And, and he said, man, I tell you what, I've heard a lot of church meetings in this coffee shop. And that's just because that's what pastors do for some reason. We love coffee. And he says, I've never heard the gospel talked about that way. And it it grieved my soul because I don't think I said anything spectacular outside of God loves you, his grace is for you, he doesn't like your sin, you need to knock that off, but that doesn't change the fact of his love for you. That's not crazy. It's not crazy to say Jesus died for your sins. It's not crazy to say he rose on the third day to give you new life. It's not crazy to say you don't have to work for your salvation anymore. This guy's like, man, that's all I've heard my whole life and it's all I continue to hear as I sit in coffee shops around the town. People are constantly looking in. What are they going to do next? What are they going to say next? And so our witness, I think, is, is heavily dependent on how we treat this sermon. And, and i sorry, I don't mean my sermon. I mean Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Our witness to the city, your witness to your classmates, your witness to your coworkers is heavily dependent on how you treat these next 12 weeks. Because th- this ethic is so far from, again, what the world preaches. Okay. So those are the crowds there. Where are they again? On a mount. Here's an interesting fact. Uh, they, they think, and this is just speculation, no one was there that's still alive today. And so they think uh, that this sermon is on the same mountain as the Great Commission, which I find very interesting, that Jesus is going to return to, uh, the, the great, uh, return to his place of giving out this ethic, giving out this kind of newfound law of God, and he goes back there and he tells the, the disciples to go and to... And baptize people in my name and to teach them everything that I've commanded. And I wonder if he's just thinking, man, go back and tell them about the Sermon on the Mount. Tell them about how this is how you're supposed to live your life and on and on and on. Okay? So um, as we get into these Beatitudes, which Katie uh, already read for us, um, we could do literally a sermon on each one. Uh, We're going to try and do them as a bulk because I want it to come across as this different type of perspective on what your life should look like from a heart level. So, so th- this is not like a checklist thing. Please don't leave here and think, okay, well, I gotta be poor in spirit. Let me go and do that. I gotta mourn, so I guess I'm gonna watch a rom-com. And then um, I need to, you know, whatever it may be, don't, don't that's not what this is. This, I want this to be a holistic move of God to transform the way we view what does it mean to be in Christ. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a citizen of the kingdom of God before the face of the world? that's, That's my hope, and so let's read these once again. Verse three, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Okay. Now, at first glance, if you're tracking with me you're thinking that does not sound like the good life at all, right? So, so if, if we're accustomed to a certain vision for what the good life looks like, what, what we should be pursuing as a culture, this is not it, right? How many people did your parents come up to you when you were a kid? And, and if you did, man, your parents actually are awesome. Thank you, parents, for discipling your kids this way. But said, hey, kid, I want you to be poor in spirit. I, I, I desire that, that in your life there would be trial that would cause you to mourn, right? That it, your life wouldn't be perfect. How, how many parents came up to you and said, man, I, I pray that, that you would just be a peacemaker. Now, I didn't get those type of prayers. My, my parents weren't believers then, and so that makes a ton of sense. There's no way they would understand this. But how many of us actually aspire or desire to see these type of things in our life? I'm going to read them I'm just just going to read Just the front ends Right Not not the promises quite yet And I want you To just do something for me As I read them I want you to just do Kind of If you could Kind of a mental run through On these And say Yeah I desired that I desired that And if it's yes Then good for you And if it's not Then let's keep talking Right So here we go So poor in spirit Okay Poor in spirit Who's, Who's thought that? Mourning Meekness hungering and thirsting for righteousness, granting mercy, pure in heart, peacemaker, and persecuted, especially that last one. How many of us have have embraced that? Or are these things that we would say, gosh, I'm gonna do everything I possibly can to run from these? And if that's true, then what you've decided is to run from the good life that Jesus has crafted and run towards the good life that the world has crafted for you. And so we have to ask ourselves, who do we believe? Right? Who, who do we trust? If, if we're Christians, it should be Christ. Right? It's literally in the name. Who are we going to believe? Has the gates to the good life. And is it these things? Because the promises that come from that, right? If you're poor in spirit, then you receive the kingdom of heaven. If you mourn, you will be comforted. If you're meek, and let's talk meekness, because it's not a word that often gets used. Meekness is, is, is simply kind of a quiet strength, right? It's, it's the opportunity to say, yeah, you know what? I don't need to fight for that. It's not that big a deal. I can confess my, my own sin. I can be strong enough to know and be confident who I am in Christ that I, I don't need to win every battle. It's not necessary. Husbands, wives, you, you'll probably get this, right? How often you have just little fights over nothing, right? Where you end up getting to the fight and you're like, well, we end up fighting about nothing. We fought about the fight and we didn't actually fight about anything of any substance. You're like, why like, why did we spend two hours talking about nothing? And it's because we are not meek. We're prideful. We want to win. We want to win at the cost of even making the other people know that they're wrong. That is not meekness. And if you're meek, you inherit the earth. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you shall be satisfied. If you're merciful, you shall receive mercy. If you're pure in heart, you get to see God. If you're a peacemaker, you'll be called the son of God. And if you're persecuted again, you receive the kingdom of heaven. And so here's what I want to do again is I just want to read off the promises of what this means if we live this type of life. And I want you to decide, does that sound all that good? Okay? Inherit the kingdom of heaven. Experience comfort in the midst of pain. Inherit the earth. Be satisfied. Receive mercy. See God. Be called a son or daughter of God. Inherit the kingdom of heaven. Like, are are those valuable to the church? And I'm really asking. Like, are those valuable things to us? I I think they should be. I, I think through my life, and I think through the things that I want to aspire to, the things that I want to be true about me, the things I want for my life in the future. And I don't often list these types of things, guys. And yet right off the bat, in the start of what we probably would say is the greatest sermon ever preached, Jesus is saying, this is the lens with which you need to view your life. It's the lens with which I need to view my life. These are the aspirations that I should have for my life. This is the type of heart that I should so try and cultivate and desire. And instead, I, like many of you, I think we just continue to pursue a different version of the good life. And it is devastating to us, I think, Although we can hide pretty easily in Western culture, it's pretty easy to be a Christian here for the most part. It's getting a bit harder, but still pretty easy. What are we, what are we striving for, church? College students hear me, like, and I get it. Like a lot of you guys, if you're a freshman, awesome, and you're embarking on a crazy journey. When I went to college, I was kind of a Christian. I got saved in the summer after I graduated from high school and transitioning into college. And I wouldn't say I really understood the gospel until I got there. I had all these plans for what San Diego State University was gonna look like. Because at that time, it was on the top of some pretty shady lists, right? And then God had a different plan. And he decided, you know what, it's time, dude. Enough of this, enough of this foolishness, Your mind, And so I became his. And it changed my entire college experience. Where I began to just see people for for more than just what they could offer me. I began to see just the world for more than just something for me to attain. And everything got flipped upside down and all of a sudden I realized I exist for the sake of the other. If you're a Christian in this room, you love Jesus, this is just what the Bible says, your life is not your own. It was bought with a price by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. If this is true for the church, again I implore us, might we take this type of ethics seriously? Might we get into our small groups, whether it's at our church, another church, uh, if it's with InterVarsity, with Campus Crusade, Chi Alpha, Navigators, any of the on campus, wherever you're at, whatever, you're, would you start having these conversations? Hey, what does it look like for us to live this way? The reality about the church is listen, we, we have but one good thing to offer the world, and it's just Christ. It's not the next great program. It's not the charismatic MC, right? It's, it's not the really strong band. It's just Jesus. And so we see him more and more as we go through this stuff. So here's what I want to do. I want to do a a contrast, a reverse beatitudes, if you will. Something that I would say that our culture probably uplifts and says, man, these these are the ethics. This is the good life of the world. That if you pursue this and live this way, here are the promises that you get to receive, right? So here, we wrote out some of these. This was uh, myself and and Andy and and I think Anthony and I think Drew was there. We said, hey, what are some of the cultural idols of our day? What are the things that the world's in? If you you pursue this, this is what you get. And so here's, here's what we came out. We said, blessed are, Right? Blessed are the comfortable, for they shall never be bothered. Blessed are the happy, for they shall never have to experience pain or boredom. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for wealth, for they shall never be without. Blessed are the lustful, for they shall always have internet access. Y'all are laughing, but that's just true. Blessed are the famous for they shall be celebrated by all blessed are the powerful for they shall run this world blessed are the proud for they shall never be corrected blessed are those who experience freedom for they shall never be tied down blessed are the intelligent for they shall only need themselves and blessed are the beautiful for they shall have more instagram followers these are the values of of our culture these are the values that say, man, if you pursue this, listen, your life is just going to be better. You'll be more lights, you'll have more friends, more people respect, whatever the lies are, right? But if you pursue beauty, intelligence, and let me be very clear, these are not bad things, right? Beauty is a good thing, intelligence is a good thing. So these are not things you should not have, they're just not things that should completely cause you to just lose your mind over. They should not be idols for you. They should not be things that you pursue over and above your relationship with God. They should not be things that you pursue over and above at the sake of other people because that is not what we believe and it's not what the Bible says about us. The world says, again, be comfortable, be happy, achieve wealth, lust is not a problem, go for fame, power, pride, and of course freedom, right? Freedom's a big one. We talk about freedom all the time in this culture. Man, just don't tell me what to do, I do my own thing. That is such a crock. No, you don't. You don't do your own thing. You just do what other people have told you through some other avenue. You read something that you just seem to agree with more and so then you went that direction. Please don't say you came up with that idea. The question is, who are we gonna listen to again? Which ethic do we believe? And I'm just saying to the church right now that if you love Jesus, we're supposed to believe this one. As hard as that is to wrap our minds around. And maybe you never come back because you think I'm just super legalistic. I'm not. (laughs) Not legalistic. I'm just convicted by the Holy Spirit. I tell you, this, this, this stuff, I'm driving with my wife, Verity, uh, we're, what was this, like, like yesterday. yesterday? I don't know. We're just talking. And I'm just, I'm just letting her know that this sermon is just ripping me apart. I've been a Christian for 13 years. I've been a leader, right? I'm a pastor now. And this thing is tearing me apart, guys. Because I'm looking at myself, my own life. I'm looking at our family. I'm looking at our friends. I'm looking at the city. I'm looking at our church. And I'm just wondering what the heck am I pursuing? Is what's here, can I line up and say, then that, man, I'm, that doesn't mean I'm not going to fail, doesn't mean that I will not make bad decisions, doesn't mean that I'll choose the wrong thing every stinking day, but is this my trajectory? Do I want what the Bible says or do I want what the world has said or what I've crafted out of kind of all of the values of the world? And again, I, I keep getting convicted because, man, this ethic is tough but I think it's how I'm supposed to live my life. And I think it's how our church is supposed to run. Like, I I think, I can only imagine if the church, and I don't mean Redemption Church, I mean, if the Capital C Church lived like this, wow! Would there be some great conversations happen across the city? If we weren't seeking to build our own kingdoms, but we're, we're seeking to to, to build God's kingdom and increase the flourishing of the city and care and love the poor and, and, and seek out the best for all the people around us, right? To engage in conversations that make us really uncomfortable, right? Conversations on, on what's happening with various groups, minorities, people in our culture, to learn and to listen and to engage them with the gospel. Like again, like gosh, I I keep, what are we doing? And so I hope, I mean, probably a lot of you guys are like, we're not on the same page, dude. Like, you're, you're just really jacked up. And that could be totally true. Like, we might have just brought in the greatest incoming freshman class of all time, and you guys are all just, like, on it, right? And you're like, yeah, dude, we did this last year. no big we do <laughs> Like, I made, like, I literally settled peace between us and Iran the other day. It was amazing. <laughs> and if that's you, like, get up here and preach. Because <laughs> I, I need to learn. Okay. Um, the last couple of things I want to say, and I'll start wrapping up, and I can talk about this forever, but um, this is not something that is an add-on to your life. The Beatitudes are, are not like an addition. You see, when, when Christ came, and he did what he did, uh, he, he didn't just kind of purchase, like, you and then the old you, and then he's just going to tack on some stuff, right? So 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, therefore, if anyone is a new creation, right, the old has passed away, behold, the new has come. So in other words, if, if you're here and, and you're a Christian, um, you're not who you were, right? So it's not old Vince plus the Beatitudes, It's not old Vince plus whatever stuff we can glean from scripture. It's not old Vince plus whatever I learned from community. No, no. You are a different person. I am supposed to be new. The Beatitudes are supposed to be the ethic of my heart, not an addition to the ones I already have. The reality of the gospel, the reality of what Christ has done, is that is true for every born-again, Jesus-loving, confessing, repenting, Bible-believing Christian here in the room. We just don't live like it. But I don't want to have us leave here freaking out because we're like, well, this sounds terrible. I'm not going back there because there's just no way. And you're right, there kind of is no way. This ethic is so incredibly difficult. I'm with you. It is hard. And so we needed someone to be able to do it perfectly. Amen. Maybe have an idea who that might be? You can say it. You can say it. Come on. There you go. That's right. Jesus. My old pastor in San Diego, he used to do this thing. This is where I got, pretty much got saved and I see Pastor Tim here. He knows, you know, I think he knows this quote, but my old pastor's named Miles McPherson, huge church in San Diego called The Rock. It's like 14,000, 15,000 people large now. Um, when, I, when I was there, it was a nice, small, little, quaint church plant of 3,000. And uh, <laughs> that dude, I, he launched first day. Like day one, they had 1,200 people. It was a church plant. It's crazy. That being said, he had this thing where he would say, uh, he'd start off every sermon. He'd get up there and he'd walk up and he'd say, hey, church, who's the man? Right? <laughs> <laughs> Who did that? Who did that? Are you from the Rock? Are we friends? (laughs) Oh, man, come talk to me after. That was great. He would do that. And the whole church would do it, right? It was incredible because you'd be walking through. I used to work, this is kind of painful to admit, I used to work for Aveda, right? And so if you don't know Aveda, it's it's hair and skin care. And so I used to work for the Aveda at the Fashion Valley Mall. And so I remember Miles McPherson was walking past uh, Aveda one day and I lean out the window, I go, Who's the man? And before he could turn around and say it, three other people in the mall said, Jesus! <laughs> and I was like, oh! <laughs> <laughs> like, it was this, like, the spirit was there. He was, Jesus came up the escalator. It was crazy.
1: <laughs> Listen.
0: As silly as that line was for me, I can't tell you how often it plays through my mind in my daily life. Because when I get confronted with an ethic like this and a call to live a more radical life than I live, and I'm confronted with a broken world that just needs me to be that, when, when I watch a video, dude, I tell you, when, when JD's singing that song this morning and I'm watching that video, I'm, just, I'm crying. It does not take much because I, I just remember so vividly these girls' voices talking about their, you know, what they've had to deal with. And the love of God that came in and changed everything. And so I want to I read one last set of Beatitudes here. As fulfilled by Jesus in the gospel... Because this is the good news for us this morning. This is the the news that allows us to go away and still function and not be completely floored by the fact that we kind of stink. And it's this, it says, blessed is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who was the poor in spirit that he might inaugurate the kingdom of heaven, who mourned in the garden, bringing comfort to all mankind, who was meek, laying his crown and his life down that we might become heirs, inheritors of a new world. Blessed is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who hungered and thirsted for righteousness, proving himself perfect, satisfying God's wrath and his mission to bring true satisfaction and contentment to his people who embodied mercy, that mercy might come to us. Blessed is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, fully pure of heart and now shows us God who made peace between God and rebellious humanity to invite all to be called sons and daughters of God. Blessed is Jesus who was perfect, who had done no wrong, but yet was persecuted, beaten, scourged, and hung that all who love and trust him might be given the kingdom of heaven. Rejoice, all who are citizens of this kingdom. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. See, the beauty of Christ preaching this to a bunch of people who some are going to buy in and some are going to back out and some are going to flounder for a while is that fully in his head, he knew, I'm going to embody this thing perfectly. Jesus said he came to fulfill the law of God. The Sermon on the Mount is the greatest commentary on the law of God from the Old Testament and he fulfilled everything from the Old Testament to the New Testament in between and after. He is perfect. He has done it because we could not. And because he's done it, now we are new in Him, so we have a fighting chance to go and live this way, because we need to glorify God, and we need to bring His glory to the world. Amen? Like this, this is what's true for the church. And praise Him. We're going to be sing some songs. and man, I mean, I, it's good to have some of students back sometimes in the summer, you know, with us oldies, it's just kind of like... You know, like maybe we get one of these up there. Some of y'all need to start dancing up in this place because this is true about Jesus. And it's true about what he's done. The gospel is just that good. And it equips us now so we can now leave this place again equipped by the reality of the gospel. And we can truly tune in to the incredibly difficult ethic of the Sermon on the Mount over the next 12 weeks and allow the Holy Spirit to actually conform us to it that we glorify him and we'd reach the world. I wanna land with a quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones from his book, it's like reflections and different sermons that he did on the Sermon on the Mount. He said this, and it's this last, last imploring moment for us and for my own heart as well. Uh, he says, it has everything to do with us, the Sermon on the Mount. If only all of us were living the Sermon on the Mount, men would know that there is a dynamic in the Christian gospel They would know that this is a live thing. They would not go looking for anything else. They would say, here it is. And if you read the history of the church, you will find it has always been when men and women have taken this sermon seriously and faced themselves in the light of that, that true revival has come. And when the world sees the truly Christian man and not only feels condemned, but it is drawn, it is attracted, let us carefully study the sermon that claims to show what we ought to be. Let us consider it that we may see what we can be, for it not only states to the man, but it points consistently to the supply, to the source of power. And this is our prayer. God, give us grace to face the Sermon on the Mount seriously and honestly and prayerfully until we become examples of it and exemplifiers of its glorious teaching. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, you are the man. You are, you are incredible, and you're, so, you're worth so much more than my, my words or my kind of mental ascent towards following you. You're worth more than my emotions of feeling excited about that. God, you're, you, you're worth every part of my life, and that is true for all of us in the room. God, I want to pray for all who are here who would call themselves yours, Christians who would testify that they love you and you are their Lord. God, that you would not allow, just not allow your word to return void. That it would go into the deepest parts of all of us, that it would pierce us, God, that it would shape us and would make us more like Jesus. God, we learned in Psalm 139 that even if we try and run from this, you're gonna track us down anyway, so we might as well just stay and allow you to do your work. God, I pray, and I know, God, there's nothing to do with anything I say, Anthony says, the way we lead our band today, God, there's nothing to do. We cannot transform. Only Holy Spirit, you could do that. And so I pray that even if there's some, some begrudging aspects to it, God, that you would change us and make us more like Jesus today. Conform us to your ethic, that we would glorify you and reach this city. God, lastly, I just want to pray for any in here who don't know you, don't consider themselves followers or Christians, God, I pray that you would man, just reveal your goodness, reveal what you've done, reveal your love for them, reveal that they don't need to fight and strive anymore to pursue a good life that will just fail. They don't need to fight and strive to prove themselves to God. They don't need to fight and strive to prove themselves to other people, God, that you have loved them to the point of death. And then you rose, God, to give them that same new life. And so, Lord, I just pray for any and all who are here that, God, you would come in and reveal yourself, save them, make them yours. And would you be glorified in all of it? Jesus, thank you for the Sermon on the Mount. Thank you for preaching so boldly and calling us to just be your people in this world. We just pray you do the work, God, to make us look like it. In your name we pray. Amen.